Good evening and welcome to Sports Day. Pat Cummins still hasn't won over the Australian public, but he's won me over. As a cricketer, he won me over in 2011 on Test Debut in South Africa. As a leader, he won me over when he spoke frankly about the need for a new coach, simultaneously showing respect for Justin Langer, his teammates and former players. As a captain, I wasn't sold after the Ashes. I certainly wasn't convinced. And I was definitely not convinced two games into the World Cup. But I am now. Cummins has proven himself as an expert at lowering the temperature. This is what he had to say today when quizzed on Mitchell Johnson's comments earlier in the week. Uh, I certainly don't agree with what he said, but everyone's entitled to their opinion. It's fine. How's Dave going? Have you spoken to him? Dave's great. Yeah, spoken to him a lot over the last couple of weeks. Um, Dave's awesome. Do you think that kind of criticism will fire Dave up? Uh, I think Davey's pretty good at uh, uh, firing himself up at any moment. It's, you know, going to his last three test matches, you, you know, you know he's going to get the best out of himself. And he's faced criticism his whole career and keeps showing time and time again that, um, you know, his class and short this summer will be no different. Uh, Mitch Johnson's going to be there commentating. If you see him, what would you like to say to him? Uh, we'll see, mate. Yeah. Well, that'd be an interesting meeting if uh, Cummins and Johnson crossed paths in Perth. That was at the Fox Sports and KO season launch for the Test Summer. one 736 736 That's the Harcourt's open line. The question tonight is, how highly do you rate Cummins as a captain and a leader? 0433 98 11 16 is the text number, thanks to Temper, of course. I find it curious he's yet to win us all over, so I'd love to hear from you. Tonight, a huge show on Sports Day. Cricket is front and centre with Sean Graff and fast bowling guru Simon O'Brien to talk about workload issues for fast bowlers. SDN.com.au Seb Mottram's going to drop by, plus tennis with the ages Mark McGowan. But first, Adam Cooney, what are your thoughts on Pat Cummins? Welcome to you. Welcome, Tom. Welcome, everyone. Oh, I love Pat Cummins. I always have. He's got the. He's got everything. He's a full package, isn't he? It wasn't that long ago before we were um, talking him at, up as a genuine all-rounder. Now he's the, the best bowler in the world. He's a Australian captain. Uh, he's a good-looking rooster. Um, he's had a pretty good year too. He's yeah. had a pretty successful year as skipper. I mean, there there was there has been some slight controversy towards him over the past you know couple of years the, the 40 million dollar deal with Alinta Energy where he famously said that he was he wasn't going to participate in any ads with them I think that ruffled a few feathers about and I think maybe that him being the the leader of the the coup to oust Justin Langer who everyone in Australia sees as just a hero really so I think that ruffled a few as well but I think it, it, as the captain I think he had to do that, and you can see from comments like Usman Kawaja only in the last 24 hours saying if it was under the current regime, he would be retired by now. Yeah, big so comments. He, he feels refreshed with what's happened. So um, when you're the leader, uh, sometimes you have to make unpopular decisions, and uh, that would have been one of them uh, with Justin Langer, but it looks like it's um, bearing the fruit now, doesn't it, with a, a really successful year as skipper. So yeah. I've always been a big fan of Pat Cummins. The, the controversial stuff is on the minor end for me. Um, I think he's done a great job in a stressful position. This is Usman Kawaja's comments in an article with Dan Bredick from The Age today. If I was in the past environment... I think I'd be done by now mentally. I would have been forced to play six Shield games before the Test Series. I'd be forced to do 50 useless warm-ups before every Test match day. Performative <laughs> stuff. Those things would add up. At this point in my career, I'd go, I'm 36. I'm mentally gone. Th this brings us to the next sort of uh, 
topic in this conversation, that is this new environment, Coons. It's a Monday environment, isn't it? Andrew McDonald, Pat Cummins. It is a gentler, more accepting, yep. less hard-nosed environment than the previous one under Justin Langer and certainly more than the environment that Steve Waugh and Alan Border and Mark Taylor and even Ricky Ponting fostered in their day. He's no dictator, Andrew McDonald. No. There's no doubt about that. And I, I like the idea of letting the individuals flourish and represent how they want to play, how they want to um, build themselves up for a game, what they want to do during to get the best out of themselves. I always found that um, the best coaches I had let the individuals do what they needed to do to prepare so they would play the best. So it's not, that's, everyone's different and... Matthew Boyd and I used to clash, and I've, I speak about this quite often because he's the polar opposite to me. Yeah. If I trained and lived my life the way that Matthew Boyd did, then I would have probably only lasted five or six years playing yeah. AFL because I would have I would have been so burnt out by it all. Whereas when Rodney Eid was a coach, and we, for all the, the jokes that are made about Rocket, he was really good at, at letting individuals prepare how they wanted to, um, to a certain extent. If you got the job done for him on the weekend, then... That was fine. You could you could go about your business. So, um, yeah, everyone's different, and I think the Australian cricket team at the moment have got that right. I, I love Pat Cummins. Uh, as I told you before, I wasn't sold on him as a ta- tactician after the Ashes, but I think he proved himself in the World Cup. I, I just get the sense, and this is only anecdotal. I, I don't. I wouldn't classify him as a um, as a polarizing figure, but I'd classify him as a figure that hasn't quite won over the Australian public yet. And I'm just trying to work out what else he can do. Yeah, why? What, what, what else can he possibly do? I mean, he's retained the Ashes in England. Yes, we would have loved to win them. But nevertheless, the, England hasn't had the Ashes since 2015 now. That's eight years, more than eight years. Um, and he's bowled very well. He's made important runs. And he's won a World Cup in foreign conditions when we're Norton 2 without... Ashton Agar, and with Travis Head missing the first half of the tournament. It's a phenomenal achievement, and we have to give him some credit. A good text message from here, uh, from Lee. Uh, I love Paddy, a great human, just love him. Very rarely you see him rattled. Mark Taylor, the best captain I've seen for Australia, but more man love for Paddy. That's a good sign. I really rate that. Another one from Jason. I've been a big fan of Patrick Cummins. He's a great cricketer. His play, uh, his play view, a part of him that no one can take away. I'm not sure, quite sure what that means. I agree with Adam Cooney about Patrick Cummins. That's Jason. Thank you, Jason. Give us a call. On the Harcourt's open line, 0300, sorry, 1300 736 736. We'll get there eventually. I'm going to ask you about Rocket Aid later on. I, I want to know maybe what the best spray you ever received from Rocket Aid. But cricket's oh, a different God. sport, Coons, isn't it? You've got a whole day sitting with these blokes or girls. Um, and in test cricket, it's five days. In first class cricket, it's four days. Even a one day is a full day. You don't want to be too intense because people will burn out. Well, I've never played cricket for five days in a row. I've I've sampled it uh, for forty overs playing fifths down in Geelong over the last month or so, and and that's about enough for me. And and you can get some some nice sledges as well, and you can give out a few, which is a bit of fun at the time. But I imagine getting sledged for four or five days in a row over an extended period could <laughs> could play with your confidence a little bit. And also when, you, when you're hanging with your teammates for so long as well, if there's one or two people that you don't quite get along with, it could get pretty frosty. So uh, I've never been in that environment for, for that extended period of time in terms of cricket, but uh, you'd, you'd want to have a... Um, you want to have some good solidarity when you're in your dressing room or else things can go pear-shaped pretty quickly as we've seen in the past. Big show tonight. Mark McGowan's going to join us soon. He's a tennis and footy reporter at The Age and is all across the Australian Open and, of course, all the footy that we saw during the season as well. Um, we're going to talk to Sean Graff a little bit later on. Sean Graff 
is a, a former Australian cricketer, played 11 one days, but he's probably best known as sort of the, the face of Cricket Victoria for about, what, 20 or 25 years. He's a straight shooter coon, so I'd watch out if I was you. Okay. I've heard he's a dog supporter. He's a dog supporter. Uh, and Simon O'Brien, many of you wouldn't have heard of Simon O'Brien. Simon is a, um, a long-time premier cricketer in Victoria, but he's recently made a name for himself as the owner of the Rocket Factory, which is a social media account, TikTok and Instagram, where they, um, they coach and, and help young fast bowlers. And it's especially topical right now, given uh, the decision from Cricket Australia to rest Scott Boland from last night's Melbourne Stars game. You can also rest other bowlers as well at certain times, which is frustrating a lot of the BBL clubs, certainly frustrating David Staker. I heard him this morning on radio, and it's frustrating Simon O'Donnell as well. So I want to listen to what Simon O'Brien has to say. But I bring news to you today, Coons. I bring some news that's not very good for Melbourne, the Melbourne Stars, and that Top is that one. Glenn Maxwell will not play the Stars' next game against the Perth Scorchers on December 13. That's next Wednesday. So he dropped. hurt his forearm last night uh, when he was batting. And he won't recover for that game on Wednesday. They're hopeful that he'll play in December 23. He's got a ten or what is it, a nine or ten day break before their next game. But this is a double blow. A because he's a gun player, as a batter, as a skipper, as a fielder, as a bowler. But secondly, because from a marketing perspective, he's the face of the club, and they've got their first home game at the MCG. So let's hope Stars supporters still turn up. But he won't be playing on December 13. And I think the Stars have just confirmed that story as well. Well, they're selling Mac- Maxwell memberships. They are. They? So is, is there a little, there must be a, a small crack in the arm or just a very, very bad bruise? No, it, it could actually be a, um, he could have pulled a muscle. We actually don't know. Um, so he had scans today, but it, the ball didn't hit it. It was just a, just a weird sort of injury that Glenn Maxwell sustained last night in the Melbourne right. Stars loss. Uh, Coons, the, the Australian Open is fast approaching. And as I did some reading this morning, I almost spat out my Carmen cereal when I saw the news around Nick Kyrgios joining OnlyFans. I'll say that again. Nick Kyrgios joining OnlyFans. We'll get to that in a moment with our next guest, footy and cricket journalist for the age, Mark McGowan. Mark, welcome to Sports Day. How are you guys? <laughs> Good. Um, do I really want to start with OnlyFans and Nick Kyrgios? Can we just get it out of the way? Um, Have you subscribed? <laughs> no, don't ask him that. What's the, uh, what's the thinking behind this? Uh, look, I think Nick is just a content machine. I think we've all we've all got that. If you're following Nick Curios on Instagram, whatever platform, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, um, I think we know there's a there's a constant stream of posts and updates coming up. Not always about tennis, um, <laughs> and I think that's what probably what we're in for with this OnlyFans uh, collaboration that he's got. He's he's promised to play uh, video games on there. He's also promised to probably do some things that might be a bit more risque, but I don't <laughs> think we're going to get anything too adult on there. But um, look, he, he's saying it's going to be free. So if you want to get in, if well, you want to get more curious, um, you've got another avenue. For all of our listeners who don't know what OnlyFans is, and I've only just learned what it is as well, I must say, Coons. Oh, uh, yeah, of course you have, yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> just, just, just Google it and um, and make sure you type in Nick Kyrgios before anyone else's name. Um, let's get to some real tennis news. I really enjoyed your article a couple of days ago, Mark, on uh, you interviewed Sam Stosa, Paul McNamee, uh, I think Wayne Arthurs was in there, Sam Groth asking them six topical questions. And they were really good questions, but I'd like to ask you these questions tonight and get your views on the questions that you ask these um, Australian tennis greats. So I guess the first one is, what does the future hold for Nick Kyrgios? Because it's a little bit grey at the moment, isn't it? No, look, it absolutely is. And I think the thing about Nick, as we just touched on there, he, we get constant updates about his life, his social life, his everything. Um, we, right now, we're not getting a heap out of what his status is. We talk to people around... And they're probably guessing a little bit as well. An educated guess, but a guess on what he's going to do. No one seems to think that he's going to play at the Australian Open. 
Even Craig Kiley hasn't given us a whole heap of confidence. They're saying there's going to be a decision made closer to. Um, oh, look, I've, I've written an article that's gone up only recently um, on our site about Nick, and it talks about wrist injuries and how big of an issue it's become in tennis in general. But if we focus in just on Nick, um, it's certainly troublesome. Um, he obviously had a knee injury that kept him out of last year, or this year's, I should say, the start of this year's Australian Open. And then the wrist issue was the one that came up just before Wimbledon. And that he has not played since then. So, look, we're, we're in the dark a little bit here. Um, I think everyone would be shocked, though, if he does end up playing at the Australian Open. But, again, we've been shocked before from Nick, and, and only he really knows. So his, his body has been an issue, as you mentioned, a couple of um, a couple of injuries over the past couple of years. Do, do you think he's got another final in him before he bows out? Can he get his body right? We know the tennis that he can play showed it in the past when he's had you screwed on right and the body is right and the, the mm. mind frame's there. He can get there. But do you think he can get back to that level? I don't think there's, there's any reason to rule it out. Um, I think we only saw in 2022. We forget that's not that long ago. Yes, we haven't seen him on a tour this year. A year out of any sport is, is a big deal. and It'll take him a while to get back. But especially on the grass where he's already made a Wimbledon final and took a set off of Novak while he was there as well. So we need to remember that. This is a guy who is a genuine threat to every player on the planet when he's at his best. And on the grass in particular, that seems to be his best opportunity. So that's obviously mid-year next year if he can get back for Wimbledon. Um, we'd love to see him at the Australian Open next month. Um, that seems more unlikely than likely, but I, I don't think we can rule out him. If he can get back you know, in the next few months and, and build up a bit of form ahead of the grass, um, I think he's definitely a chance. All right, next up, should Australia bid to host its round of 16 group in next year's Davis Cup finals? I'd love to see Davis Cup in Australia again. I I think it'd be great. Yes, we'd be up against AFL, NRL finals, um, but that's always been the case, even before the format change. So I'd really like to see it happen. I mean, I know Leighton Hewitt isn't a fan of the new new format and there's been a lot of complaints about we don't get that atmosphere of playing at home. There's an opportunity right here. Put the bid in, get it in, bring tennis to Australia in, in September. Um, I think it'd be great for the game. Where? It's a, it's a really good question because, again, you're going, you've got Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane might all have footy finals on. But, again, you've got to back yourself in. Tennis can't be afraid to take on the footy code. So I, I just think we've got to pick the place that has the best facilities. Um, it could be Adelaide. Um, Adelaide. I, I think it's just, they've got to be smart. But I think all of those states and all those cities of quality tennis facilities. Why do you think wrist injuries are more prevalent on the um, on the tour now than they were, based on what you said before, Mark? Yeah, look, it's, it, look, I'm not an expert, so no. I don't I don't want to go too deep into that. But I've spoken to a, an ATP um, physio um, for this story I've just put up in the, in the last little while, and it, it's not so much about why it's become more prevalent now, but there's talk of ball changes from tournament to tournament. Balls can be heavier, softer. Um, all these sorts of things that can impact a player, um, the way it's coming onto the racket. Obviously, right now you see some really extreme grips in the in the men's and women's game, and different different players use different grips, extreme actions. Overuse is the one that keeps coming up a lot as well. You've got a real talk on a player's wrist when they're we're smacking the ball. It's harder and harder. You've got great equipment these days. It's allowing players to hit it harder and harder. They're they're playing more tournaments than ever. Um, I think I think that's probably some the answer somewhere in there. All right, next up is the hard hitting ones that you've asked, and now we're asking you: <laughs> What do you think about the concept of a premium tour? 
Yeah, look, it's it's an interesting topic. Um, it's not something that's probably going to happen in the next year or so. It's something that seems, still seems quite a fair way away. But I think anything that can can put tennis on the map a bit more, especially outside of the Grand Slams, I think that's, again, a good thing for the game. But this is a really difficult topic because you're talking about a sport that has, and I know this is going to sound really strange to a lot of the listeners, but they have seven governing bodies. What? So you've got can you explain that to us? Yeah, so if you've got the ITF, the WTA, and the ATP to start with, now the Grand Slams are the other four. They all operate independently. Mm. Now, yes, the Grand Slams might, there's some shared arrangements, there's some agreements, but technically they operate independently. So you've got seven different views here that would have to come together and agree on a tour going forward. So there's a hell of a lot that would have to go right for this tour to work. And again, it's just a concept. It's just a, a talking point. And this talking point's been going for years. This isn't something that's just come up. So the, the basic idea of it would be that you'd have almost like a PGA Tour style card where, you know, it might be the top 100 or so players in the world. They would all get a card or however you want to word it. For that season, they would play, say, 14 events. There'd be four Grand Slams, 10 other, you know, big events. Maybe the Masters 1000s events would come together. That's the basic idea of it. So... Whether that eventuates, who knows? But I think there's there's nothing wrong with trying things. That's fascinating. That's really really interesting. I hadn't actually read much about that before. And you know, even if you look at it from a golf perspective, and people do compare tennis to golf. You know, largely individual sports, lots of money, yeah. um, and there is some Saudi money in in golf clearly, and becoming more so in tennis. Uh, just mm. imagining these competing interests coming together and forming some sort of um, premium tour just seems so out of whack with how tennis has worked in the past, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think one of the, the criticisms of this idea as well is there's already such a big gap between the haves and the have-nots yep. on the tennis tour. You see a lot of sports talk about 600, 700 athletes can make a living, whereas tennis, the constant talking point in tennis is how you know it might be 150 players in the world on each, each side of the genders actually make a living, which just isn't enough. And if you do something like this, there is a danger of creating an even bigger gulf. So as I said before, there's a hell of a lot of water that would have to go under the bridge. But I don't think there's anything wrong with at least talking about these ideas. Whether it comes to fruition, who knows? What's one thing that irks you or something that you like to change about the professional tour as it currently sits? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a hard one for me to answer because, again, that one I wanted the players to talk about because they're the ones that are living on the tour. And I know these guys that I spoke to are no longer on the tour, but they've actually experienced What did they say, Mark? A lot, a lot of the talking points were around the the lack of, of tournament opportunities. For, for Sam Sosa spoke about there's not enough opportunities for the women compared to the men. Wayne Arthur's talked about wanting more challenger events in Australia. So challenger events for people who aren't tennis um, devotees, it's sort of the secondary tour down. Um, it's an opportunity for younger players or the guys who are still battling to get into that top 100. They play on the lower tour, less prize money, less points, but it gives them an opportunity to, to you know, move up and potentially join that, that elite company. There's not a lot of opportunities for Australia. And when I talk to a lot of the players, they all say the same thing. It's so tough when they leave home. They're away for nine, ten months at a time. You go to the Europeans, the um, you know, the Americans, they can all duck home quite easily. It's a fairly short flight, so they can have a bit of respite during the season. Australians, they're flying back at 15, 16, 17-hour flights to get back home, and they just can't justify that. So 
it's a long, long time away. And you compare it to the lives of footballers and the guys who are making a living um, in Australia, um, it's a hell of a lot easier for them than, than it is for tennis players. And that's why it just adds another layer of challenge to these, uh, these Australians who are trying to make it on the, on the professional tour. A very solid 2023 from Alex Dimonor. Um If he continues on this trend, what can his uh, season in 2024 look like? I think the first one that he wants to tick off, and he's talked about this for 12 months now at least, um, is getting inside that top 10. He's sitting just outside that now. He got to his career high of number 11 during the year, and he did that by winning his first ATP 500 event. He made a, a Masters 1000 final. The challenge still for Alex is when he comes up against the absolute elite in the game, and we're talking about the Novaks, the, the Alcarazes, the, the Yannick Sinners, these sort of guys, actually beating them in a Grand Slam or, or when they're on. Um, he really struggles to go with them. And, that, and part of that is his physical limitations. Um, he's a smaller guy. He's unbelievable with his heart, his courage, his fight, his speed. He's got all these factors. Now he's just got to figure out a way that he can sort of keep with these guys. And we're yet to see that. Um, he hasn't had a hugely deep run at a Grand Slam, but we'd love to see it. But I think if he can get inside that top 10, that, that's a hell of an achievement. What do you see the women's side from an Australian point of view? I'm pretty certain we don't have a a player ranked inside the top 100. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. Um, it, there are some extenuating circumstances there. Like Isla Tomjanovic is she's our best women's player right now. She's missed most of this year with injuries, similar to, to Nick Kyrgios. She's played a bit more. She actually won a title um, only a couple of weeks ago, but. Um, she's on the comeback trail. She's made you know, three Grand Slam quarterfinals. So she's a genuine factor at the top of the women's game. She's just been injured. Daria Saville is another one who's been up there. She's been injured, though. Um, so that's why she's out. But you'd really like to see some of these young players pushing through. So they, they've just announced the, the first batch of, of AO wildcards during the week. And a couple of those players there, I think, are, are names that your listeners should, uh, should definitely watch. And that's Olivia Gadecki. We saw her make a main draw debut and win around at this year's Australian Open. And the other one to watch is Taylor Preston. Um, she's an 18-year-old, um, top 10, was a top 10 junior. She's now almost in the top 200 um, on the women's side. So there are some names to watch. Kim Birrell also made her top 100 debut this year as well. So there's some talent coming through, but yeah, you'd like to see some more names in there. We've got about a minute left, Mark. Uh, Caroline Wozniacki's making a comeback. I read an article on The Age. She's a former winner. I think it was 2018 that she won. How deep can she go in 2024? She made the round of 16 at the US Open, and that was only a third tournament back. So yeah. I think she can absolutely aim for at least there, if not, uh, if not deeper. Well, that'd be amazing. All right, really appreciate your time, Mark. Love your work on The Age, not just in tennis, but also in footy. And uh, we'll chat to you again soon. Good on you, guys. Thanks for having me. That's Mark McGowan from The Age. Very good journalist, Coons, and very knowledgeable about tennis. Are you a tennis man? Well, I thought when we were chatting to Mark tonight, I wrote down all my notes about footy. And then you said, no, no, he does it all. To tennis. He's more than than just a footy man. He's a tennis guy. So uh, I used to play tennis as a junior. Uh, I preferred that over cricket. Um, And don't mind watching it every now and then, but... um, I wouldn't say I was extremely passionate about it. Regarding the question earlier on, Kat, on Pat Cummins, hi, Adam and Tom. I can't see why the whole Australian cricket team haven't won everyone over yet. Pat Cummins, David Warner, all the team have carried themselves in such a different and positive attitude. I'm proud of them. 
Um, and then another one, Pat Cummins gets a zero ranking from me as a bowler and a captain. Pat is not the best bowler in the world, not according to official ICC rankings, not in test ODI or T20. Alan from Brisbane. I think most people uh, who with any sort of cricketing understanding know that Pat Cummins is an extremely good bowler. And I think he's a very good captain and leader, but it's just the question I was asking tonight. This is Sports Day for Maccas. Get them a crib and new McCrib Deluxe now. Maccas and Epic has arrived. The all-electric Kia EV9. What a car that is. SEN Seb Bottram is up next with Sean Graff and Simon O'Brien to talk about bowling workloads. Stay with us on Sports Day. Now on Sports Day, a sports update for Tyre Power, Australia's biggest independent tyre retailer. Uh, sports updates are great, Coons. We know that you love sport all around the globe, and we've got a very famous man in the studio with us today, famous for his surname, because Mottram is the surname. No, it's not Craig. It's Seb Mottram from sen.com.au. He's doing a fantastic job writing a number of articles and uh, I guess manning the desk. Seb, welcome to you. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for being thanks for having me here. Good to have you here. Now, the first thing is... Um, you wrote an article, uh, when was it? Was it yesterday? Well, it was yesterday about Cam Bancroft. And I want to ask you what the topic, what, what the background for that article was and why you came to write it. I, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, well, Tom, we, we talked about this before I published it yesterday. And I think it's just, it's the forgotten narrative of playing Bancroft's potential test return. And what a it's really getting at is the fact that Bancroft didn't take the chance to... Just speaking to the microphone there, Seb, good man. Yeah. Bancroft didn't take the chance to clear his teammate's name when he had the chance to in 2021. So he's the only Australian cricketer who spoke at length on this on yep. this topic, really, and didn't deny the chance, or when given the chance, didn't deny the fact that Cam Bank that the bowlers, essentially, yep. didn't know about the ball tampering saga from back in South Africa in 2018. Yep. So... In he, had the ch- he had the chance and he, had, he didn't take it, did he? He had the chance. So he... he let me just get up his direct quotes here. He said, look, I think it's probably pretty self-explanatory when referring to if the bowlers knew about that plan. So, um, do, you I think it's a, do you think it's keeping him out of the test team? Well, I, I wouldn't say it does, but I just think it's a fascinating narrative to follow and one that we haven't really talked about as much. Um, if he does replace David Warner, how does he fit back into that dynamic? Because what I'm, I'm really talking about is that team, or this team that we've got now, is so tightly knit. Um, we know that they've got the barrage from the media. We've got, they've yeah. got the barrage from past players. And this is still a team that is is um yeah it's it's ridiculously close and being united by Pat Cummins' leadership. So the fact that um that Bancroft might be different to that, or it's just an interesting narrative to watch, in my opinion. What are your thoughts, Kearns? <laughs> well, uh, it, it's not great. It's not ideal for him, given that you know we, we speak so often about David Warner coming into retirement soon. Usman Kawaja, although he's feeling refreshed at the moment, doesn't have a hell of a lot of test cricket left in front of him. So there's a potential of two opening spots for Australia coming up in the next you know, couple of years. And there's, there's only really three or four names that we speak about continually. And uh, with Cam Bancroft being one of those... Just even if it, I mean, he's obviously still scarred from from that incident, or else he he would have just played the straight bat to it and said, "Look, that's you know, it's it, it's gone. It's years ago. I've moved on. I want to I want to get on with my life." But he just left that door ajar, didn't he? Yeah, for slightly us to, ajar. To, for us to kick it open now and to speak about it. But it, it, it's amazing that we are what five five and a half years on, and we still. Haven't got to the bottom of this story. Well, that's Tom, it, Tom. You need like, to be working harder on this. Tom, you were talking about this earlier in the week when James Erskine came on. The fact that yeah. we don't know the full story yet, and maybe we never will move past it until we don't know the full story. Yeah, I mean, my, my view on the my view on it is um is pretty strong and consistent, and that is that yeah, no, they didn't know that Bancroft was involved, but the bowlers and everyone knew that Warner was illegally um, uh, you know, altering the condition of the ball before that, and that's why the terms of the 
um, Cricket Australia investigation was so narrow. They didn't ask whether this had happened before, whether, whether Warner had done anything before. It was just whether Bancroft had attempted to do something in that moment. And there's a reason for that. They didn't want to know what happened before. Mm. They didn't want to know what was happening in the 1718 Ashes. And the other, other narrative here, Coons, is that uh, in the uh, BBL coming up, Cam Bancroft and David Warner are both at the Sydney Thunder. So they could be playing for the same team. I know they played together in the 2019 Ashes, but something doesn't quite sit right, does it? No, I, I agree. It's just, and it's not to say that Cam Bancroft doesn't deserve a place or shouldn't be picked. That's, that's not at all what no. I'm saying or what I've written. But um, it's just it's one to watch, and it's one that they're going to have to field questions on over the summer. Because yeah. Bancroft, so Warner's going to finish up after Sydney as well. Yeah. So there's two tests against the West Indies that, that Cam Bancroft's going to be uh, right in the mix for. Mm. It's always been a, a clicky group, the Australian cricket team, hasn't it? Like it, it has its groups that sort of stick together. What's Pat Cummins like do we, in, in terms of, of that as a leader? Does he have his, his favourites, his boys? Because, I mean, if, if that is true and the, the fast bowling fraternity, they're all going to stick together. Like, yeah. how, how is he in all of this? Well, I think Pat Cummins is an incredibly cohesive leader uh, and he brings people together. He's very different to many other Australian captains that have... Um, been in his shoes in the past because he's not as hard-nosed, probably doesn't have the grunt that a lot of other, like the Ponting or Steve Warrior, Alan Border has. But this is not to say that he's not competitive. This is not to say that he's uh, extremely strong-willed in what he does. But he's got a different style, and that's why him and Andrew McDonald suit each other. And there's a great article in today's age by Dan Bredick about the way that um, the new regime, McDonald and McCummins, have brought people together. You know, they don't do team warm-ups. They look after themselves so they're ready to go. Kawhi, yeah. They rest players to look after their Kawhi's emotional mental health. Kawhi's happy about that, isn't he? <laughs> Very happy. I think team warm-ups are ridiculous. Um, Seb, uh, there is... You know, I love digital traffic. I love to know what articles are doing what. Yep. You know, Kane Corns is not here at the moment, so you've had to, find, had to fill the void somehow. Adam Cooney's helped to fill that. What are the highest-rating articles of the last seven days on sen.com.au? Yeah, so Coons, you might be our long-term Kane replacement going <laughs> forward. Because no, the, got uh, some traction, have I? Uh, the, top, the top traffic article of the week was uh, Adam Cooney's predictions for the top eight in 2024. <laughs> All positive, too, I've heard from the feedback. That's great. Uh, well, great content. So it fits in well as well because in our... Uh, fan survey, which we've had over 60,000 responses to, Secure was widely tipped to be the biggest slider by 45% of fans, and you had him out of your eight as the top eight as well. Do you stand by that, Coons? Well, I have to stand by that now, given you gave me 16 seconds to come up with a top eight, Tom. <laughs> I, had four, I had 14 teams in there that I thought are a good chance to make the eight, and you made me slice them down on air when I had no preparation let me, to do it whatsoever. Let me tell you this, Coons. <laughs> let me tell you this, Coons. If I'm driving along and someone lists the 14 teams that could play finals next year, I'm changing the channel. I want to hear, I want to hear your opinion. So I'm glad you well, gave it. And you can, also, you can always change it before the start of next season as well. Look, Ross is a genius, and I can change it 10 times. Before the start you of the can season. do whatever you want. And at the end of the day, in this time next year, no one's going to give a stuff about what I said 12 months ago. That's anyway, true. So, you know, Ross Lyon's a genius, I understand that, but I'm just not quite sure they've, they've still got the, the cattle to get it done. So yeah. you never know, they could slide into the eight, but everyone, you know, everyone improves. Yep. Teams jump up. Essendon could be in there. I did pick uh, the Suns to, to make it in the eight. That was my, uh, well, well, not really a smoky prediction. I just think it's time yep. for them and this football club to step up. They're, they're young midfield now. Is that an A? 
age and a, and a profile where they should be dominating yep. games. They're getting into that now. Good key forwards, solid key defenders, so um, and a pretty good coach has come on board. So yeah, there's no excuses for the Suns this this uh, season coming up. I agree. I think the break even is eight or better, and if they finish ninth or lower, I think it's probably a fail for the Suns. Uh, speaking Sack of, Hardwick. <laughs> just, get, just clip up that, please. Sack Hardwick and put that on your uh, <laughs> on your audio list. Um, Seb, the both South Australian clubs have been pretty active in terms of uh, list management over the past 24 hours. What, what have you got to tell us there? Yeah, so both Adelaide and Port Adelaide made signings today. Luke Pedler, two more years until 2026, and the same with Ollie Lord. So they were already mm-hmm. contracted for 2024 and have added another two years, which pretty uh, pretty positive news. I'd say that they extend a year out, Coons. Yeah, Ollie Lord, I like him as a player. He was, you know, floated when it came to uh, trade radio. We do float most players uh, in the no, league. You, did, you didn't float. You didn't, and a half you didn't period. float them, Coons. Geelong wanted him for Radical oh, there you go. That, that was yeah, that, that was part of the discussion. Yeah, but I I think he's got a huge future. I mean, we saw him um, dominate periods of of a final, and, and if, I think he kicked four uh, in his first final there uh, this year. So uh, he can play, likes the big stage. Didn't have a great follow up uh, week after that, unfortunately, but. Um, if you can do it in the final, you can do it um, in the future. And I, I think he's got some good footy ahead of him, given that Charlie Dixon's body is as cooked as mine. Yeah, well, Jared Healy's got big raps on Ollie Lord as well. I think earlier this year when Charlie Dixon was out, he was saying that Lord can almost keep him out of his keep keep Charlie Dixon out of his team. Like that's how well that Ollie Lord was playing. And that game against Melbourne that um he slid in against Jake Lever, I think he kicked a few goals, Tom had a big impact in that. Yeah, well, that, um, well, Port really rate him. And to the point where not only were Port rejecting Geelong's advances for him last year in the trade period, but they were saying, we're going to re-sign him as well. So th- th- they were never going to trade him for any deal involving Radigalier and certainly not any deal involving uh, Brandon Zerk Thatcher. I love free kick ladders. Um, you had some content on that as well. Yeah, so um, Andrew Sleverson's written the free kick ladder from 2018 to 2023. And I'll, I'll grab that one up, Tom. It's been, sorry, it's been a, um, yeah, so that was our second highest rating piece of the uh, the week. And Coons, yeah. could you want to have a guess at who, who finished on top? Oh. Is, it the, free, is it the Bulldogs. Is the free kick ladder the team that receives the most free kicks? Is so we, we've got the most free kicks, we've got the least free kicks, we've got anything you could possibly want okay. on uh, on all the free kick ladders. So, okay. Dogs or Collingwood to have the most? Yeah. That's a fantastic call. Yeah. Best differential, Western it? Bulldogs, plus 273 really? since the year 2019. And Richmond, the yeah. worst? I think I, Richmond was the worst, yeah, just Richmond off the top the of my worst. head. And that would just play Mine, into the, to the Tigers fans, the nothing oh, Not just the worst, though, Tom. The worst by almost 200 free kicks over yeah. this period. Minus 331, Hawthorne minus 143. So what does that tell you? That's They've got poor tackling technique and their ground ball technique's poor as well because they're giving away free kicks. <laughs> Tigers fans, what do you think? <laughs> Let uh, us know. Hit, t- up, uh, hit up Seb's uh, Twitter, yeah, Seb Mottram. At Seb Mottram at SEN.com.au. Uh, finally, ton for Matt Renshaw today, and he brought up his 50 actually earlier with a 7. Were you watching it at the time? Yeah, I saw a 7. So <laughs> it was a... Can you remember the last time you saw a seven, Tom? No, I've never seen a seven. He played a, he played a cover drive and they ran three, then four overthrows to bring up his 50. And the four overthrows were from the bowler's end, essentially. Yeah. He was standing just at the, the follower's stump. So to, the, that why did he is, throw the ball with such ferocity when the, the both players were in their crease? That's what I want to know. It's Pakistan coons. What you got to understand with Pakistan <laughs> cricket is they do bizarre things on the cricket field, and often it's quite <laughs> negative. Often it's all over the place. In your view, what's your pecking order, Seb, for the next test opener when you've got Harris, Renshaw, and also Bancroft? It's a great question. I had Bancroft as the clear leader, I think, especially with his we, given his shield average, far better than Renshaw and, and Harris this season. But 
I don't think that would be enough to change the selector's opinion at, at this stage, but I still have Bancroft number one, but yep. maybe Urenshaw jumps into number two. Oh, Harris down to three. Uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, he struggled this Shield season, but he was the next man in during the Ashes. They're all different coons because Harris was the next man in for so long. Bancroft is in the best form, and Renshaw is um, has, has is the one who's made the ton in the Prime Minister's eleven. Well, the, the spot was there for Will Pukowski, and we know the issues that he's had, but he's back playing cricket now as well. If it's if it is another twelve months down the track, um, could we see Will Pukowski just bolting if he keeps making runs? Yeah, well, we'd love to see it, wouldn't he? Will, I was a, um, a Brian Grammer boy and went to school with Will a couple of years below him. A oh, Brian Grammer boy, eh? Yep, yep. Nut Brayton, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> went to went to school with Will, and it was great to see him. He was earmarked for Test opener from the age of 15, Were 16, you there the day that he got concussed at footy training? No, I didn't say that. No, because that was his first concussion at footy training. I think someone's knee hit him in the head and, you know, he's had several since. Seb, anything else for us? Any other news around today? I saw Ange Postacoglu this morning had a bad result for Tottenham Hotspur. Disaster for, disaster for Ange. But I was really fascinated by the John Rahm news, Tom. Yes. I reckon that really rocks Tell the us. world. Well, John Rahm's defected to Live Golf from the PGA Tour. He'd, he'd previously been very defensive of. He was pre- very pro-PGA, pro pro-PGA Tour, anti-Live. <laughs> And the, uh, the fact that he's now now um, now join join live live golf coons is is fascinating for a contract worth seemingly upwards of four hundred fifty mil. It's, it's uh, remarkable. Coons, before you we get your thoughts on John Rahm defecting to live, this is what he had to say when he was I guess criticising live and saying he'd always stay on the PGA tour. Shotgun three days to me is not a golf tournament, no cut. It's that simple. Uh, I want to play against the best in the world in a format that's been going on for hundreds of years. Like, will a lifestyle change if I got 400 million? No, it will not change one bit. Truth be told, I could retire right now with what I've made and not live a very happy life and not play golf again. So, and for a lot of people, I'm not gonna lie, those next three, four years are worth basically their, their retirement plan they're giving them. It's a, it's a very nice compensation to then retire and sail off to the sunset. Nah, it's one of the all time great receipts, Coons. Oh, what a what sort of lifestyle are you living if 450 mil isn't going to change it? <laughs> <laughs> the bloke's won over 100 million already, Coons. Yeah. I mean, it reaches oh, a point well, where just... another zero doesn't make a difference, I would have thought. Yeah. Well, you can, I reckon you could you could dispose of 100 mil in 10 years, I reckon, if you lived I'm a sure really you could. Lifestyle. I think people like Seb and me who are quite happy to stay in the background and just live our suburban lives and look after our families would be yeah, uh, but then you're, less you're inclined. 400 and, you're 450. Uh, if you invest a little bit of that, then that Last forever. I would be you a keen observer to see how you spend 100 mil, though, Coons. I would love to click, watch that. Click your fingers, and 100 mil's gone like that. I think you'd be the size of a house, Coons. I think you're <laughs> the size of a small village. Seb, fantastic work. We'll see your writing on sen.com.au, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Stay, nice, with, stay with us. More Sports Day after this. Welcome back to Sports Day. Adam Cooney and Tom Morris taking you through the next little while. And this is Sports Day for Maccas. Get them a crib and the new McCrib Deluxe mm, now at Maccas. Um, <laughs> yeah, you love a McCrib, don't you? In fact, they are delicious. I was actually at Maccas the other night and um, I had a quarter pounder with cheese. I hope I'm allowed to say that. But my mate had a McCrib Deluxe and it looked incredible. And mm. I had food jealousy. I'm not sure if you, in fact, <laughs> what a silly thing to say. I know you had food jealousy before. It's a terrible thing. <laughs> Yeah, I'd never had food jealousy because I just order it. If I <laughs> yeah. want it. But my, my young fella makes a McRib. He's at Macca's. We've got him down there flipping burgers. He loves it. Does he? Yep. And that, Big fella. Do you get a discount, Coons? He gets a discount, but he never passes it on to his old man, which is unbelievably selfish. Probably for your own health, to be honest. I would have. <laughs> yeah, probably for Although you can get a lot of healthy food at Macca's as well. Um, let's have, this is an amazing blow-up from the captain of the 36ers at training. Coons, how would you have responded to this? Shut the f*** up. 
and everyone was fucking snitching on each other. No one fucking in solidarity. No one fucking kicked in house. Everyone was fucking snitching on every other person to throw every other fucking person under the bus. We're not gonna fucking do it. Train hard. Shut the fuck up. Get stops. Win game. End the story. Thoughts? Pretty blunt message. Yeah. It, it, well, does, under, does that happen a fair bit? But does that happen? Uh, that happens all the time at training. And that, that's a big one. That's a big blow-up from Mitch McCarron, who's obviously sick of what's been happening you know, behind the scenes. And that can fester. Like, when you have players in the locker room um, whispering to others and then it goes down the line and then becomes public, that can ultimately affect your culture. And it has done at the Adelaide 36ers, obviously. Uh, coach gone. They've underperformed with a really healthy uh, roster yeah. that they've had over the last couple of years. So, uh, it's, yeah, disappointing. That's stuff happens all the time that's a one of the uh, bigger blow-ups i've heard for, <laughs> what's the biggest for, what's the biggest blow you've heard uh, i can't i can't question without can't. notice i would have it would have been from the coach it would have what, been rocket. rocket yeah rocket would have had one he would rocket would have had 50 that, are, that were more explosive than that oh really <laughs> yes uh, yeah, and, 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 and at you directly or at the team oh i've had a few uh, directly yeah what was the biggest um, one you ever received and what did you do I've spoken about this one many times on radio. I'd like to hear Tom. it. I, uh, he, Rocket thought that I went out to a nightclub the, day, the, the night before we played a game over in Perth because someone saw me walking back to my room. And it was at about 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. Um, and uh, someone got wind of, of that. Spoke to Rocket about it. He star- I started every game in the centre bounce. He came up to me five minutes before the game and said, "Look, I just I want you to start on the wing, uh, interchange side." And I thought, "Well, that's a bit, it's a bit odd." I started in the centre bounce yeah. just about every game. So ball went up. I was running around for 30, 45 seconds. The runner came out. Coons off, and I hadn't even had a touch. Like I hadn't <laughs> even had a chance to to yeah. uh, to stuff up yet. So uh, off I went. Got on the phone, and he dropped the uh, C bomb. Wow. Ten times in a row without even saying anything else first. <laughs> <laughs> I was rattled. I had no idea what was going on, and then he he just berated me about going out the the night before a game. What, and, what uh, in, in the first minute of the game you did? This that? is the first the, the first few minutes of a game, and um and uh, that's uh, look you can't argue back. There's nothing you can say. But you didn't. But he so was he's wrong. Already, he's already so angry at that stage. I just said, yep, yep, yep. And he's, then he said, you better have the game of your life while you're out. So I was that rattled after that. I don't think I got a kick. But then I, I, I had to wait until after the game to explain to him that I wasn't going out. I think he thought I was out on the drink or something. Oh. So um, I had to explain to him, look, we um, were with someone in Perth, a couple of friends over there that we just caught up with um, and went for a, uh, just a walk, I think it was, yeah. around a park or something like that with a couple of friends. So, uh, And after that, he sort of laughed it off. And I thought, well, I've just wasted a game of footy. I've been that rattled. I'm going to get dropped next week. Surely, like, oh, well, sorry about that. <laughs> did, did he apologise? Oh, in his own unique way. Surely that's not the best way to get the most out of you for that game. Well, I think he was just so angry about it that. But that was Rocket. We, Rocket and I had a great relationship, so I guess that he he could speak to me like that. I mean, and it had an effect on me at the time. But yeah. we laughed it off after that. <laughs> I certainly didn't hold any grudges. I just got on with my um, with my life after it. But yeah. yeah, we had a good relationship, Rocket. And he used to give me a fair bit of leeway in some of the stuff that I did anyway. So, yeah, okay. Um, if he if he did spray me, he would generally come up after during the week and pat me on the bum and say that was a pretty good one, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> did you ever go out the night before a game? And drink alcohol? Yep. No. Did no. you ever go out the night before a game and not drink? Um, 
No, I don't think I would have. Yeah, okay. Nah, Did nah. It, does not it... even when I was, not even in my first year. Yeah, okay. Nah. And for some players, in my first year, it was 04. So some players used to go out and have a few beers on a Wednesday night if we had a Thursday off. But really? I was, I came in at the tail end of that where even, even then after a few months, probably six months, that got sort of filtered out. So, um, no, uh, although, you know, I can be quite jovial. I never, I never drank alcohol uh, during the week or, uh, and I certainly not a night before a game. Before we go, Utah Jazz coach had a very honest opinion after his loss in this press conference. I love this. Um, that was a uh, that was an absolutely horrendous performance from start to finish. Um, that was a masterpiece of dog shit. <laughs> a masterpiece. Oh, that's good. Well, yeah. he's honest. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue with that, can you? I like it when coaches. Uh, negative about their players in a press conference because you can imagine how negative they'd be behind closed doors. Nathan Burke got in trouble for that this year in the AFLW. Said his team was unfit. They didn't like it, but I, I quite respect it. Anyway, Coons, uh, we've got more... Anyway, to... how, how did the dogs finish this year? Not very well, the Coons. AFLW. Yeah, uh, they probably weren't fit enough. Not fit enough. More Sports Day after this. You're listening to Sports Day. Coons, this bobs up every single summer, and that is the workload of bowlers around the country and the constant push and pull between international duty and domestic cricket. And so it was with Scott Boland, who was not allowed to play for the Melbourne Stars last night, seven days before. He's barely an outside chance, to be honest, even to play for Australia in Perth. And earlier this week, the Prime Minister's eleven bowled 116 overs in the first innings against Pakistan. But Cam Green, who is an Australian bowler, albeit an all-rounder, sent down precisely zero due to management regulations. Before we get our next guest on, this was Simon O'Donnell speaking on SEN Breakfast yesterday morning. Every aspect of cricket is being weakened by these guys being constantly rested see, under medical advice. Now, at some stage, we've got to find a happy medium here because it, it's just not good enough. And this is a classic example. Scotty Boland is, is paid to bowl a cricket ball. He's being asked to bowl four, four overs, 24 deliveries maximum, field for another 16 overs. Um, or be subbed out and you know sit down if need be. It seems ridiculous to me that he cannot make the choice to go and do that. That someone is saying to him, "No, you won't do that because of this risk factor, that risk factor, well, and possibly overloading." Because I, 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 there are too many examples of this going too far. Okay, let's dive into this with fast bowling coach and the guru behind the hugely popular social media account, The Rocket Factory, Simon O'Brien. Sob, welcome to Sports Day. Thanks very much, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Good to speak to you. Now, the, the question that we probably should start with, broadly speaking, do you think cricket is too governed by sports science and strength and, strength and conditioning experts on, the, on these matters? Look, I think it poses that question of the old versus the new. You've got the old school guys, you know, you say Simon O'Donnell just there coming out and saying, you know, we, we need to be bowling more, we need to be doing this. But then there is a lot of data, there is a lot of information that's come through. So I do think to a degree, um, you know, particularly in the bowling case, that we're being dictated by a guy who knows his body really well. So, you know, do you trust the player or do you trust the, the statistics? Can you take us through some of the data and statistics then, um, Simon, that go into making a decision that you know ultimately affects their player, but it also affects teams, big bash franchises, and then international cricket from that? So what are some of the things that you look at when it comes to the bowling loads? So it'll be a combination of things. So, look, 
professional players, they wake up in the morning, they've got an app on their phone. Um, they'll enter in how they feel. That plays into it. So how do you wake up? Is your, is your body sore? Is your body stiff? Um, do you have any sort of previous injuries um, that you're managing, you're working your way back from? Then the, the big one that it really is, is around the workload. And workload comes down to, I guess, that, that magic number of balls. So it's about sort of keeping you in that green zone. Um, and each ball is very unique. You know, if you're an international player, your workload ball, balls per week or, or balls per month will be much higher than, say, a, a 17-year-old kid who plays local cricket. All right, so how many balls should a bowler bowl a week? Give us an international number and a teenage number. Uh, look, I'll, I'll go teenagers up. So, look, we sort of typically look at under-17s. And, and instead of going balls per week, we roughly work around that 100. But it's So we work off a, a days in a row, so how many days in a row you can actually bowl, the number of times a week you'd bowl, and then the total overs in that session. So under-17s, we're sort of working that one day a week. You know, uh, sorry, one day in a row, three times a week, and around about five overs in that spell. Once you get over to under-19s and your body's a bit more developed, um, you sort of go you know, maximum two days in a row. Um, you know, four times a week is probably the maximum number of sessions, and, and six to seven overs. Um, when you get up to an international level... It, because the schedule is so jam-packed, it, it is very much around sort of managing and balancing that. You know, in, in Scotty Boland's case, this is very unique because he hasn't bowled for two and a half weeks. So he's only had nets and, and workloads in the net. So he probably hasn't got those workloads up, which I can understand why the coaches are coming out and the, the past players are coming out and are pretty disappointed that he isn't playing. So what's the intensity difference then from steaming in the nets and also obviously bowling in a game? As you mentioned, he has only been in the net. So what's, was it, does it vary sort of 20 to 25% to factor into that? Yeah, I'd say, look, 10, 10 to 15%, 25% is a, a huge jump. Um, but for that 10 to 15%, you throw in things like, you know, if you're playing in front of 25,000 people at the Gabba and your adrenaline's going or 100,000 at the G, your body just goes to a different place. And I know you probably find the same playing footy, Aaron, but um, you probably just can't replicate as much. And, and not just the, the physical side of it, but just that mental side of it as well as having that competitive sharpness and excitement. It, it's good for a player as well to just get that stimulation. How does it work at the top level? I'm not just talking international cricket. I'm also talking domestic cricket or all professional players. If they want to play, can they play? Or is the decision taken out of their hands? Look, I think predominantly it's taken out of their hands. Um, it, depending on the game and the situation, if a series is on the line, I guarantee you Pat Cummins is playing. Yeah. He, his workloads in the last Ashes would have been through the roof and, and the same with some of the other guys. And, and it would have been a case of, we need to win this series, we're playing. For me, is it a little bit of Cricket Australia coming in and saying, well, the Big Bash isn't as important as Test Cricket? But look, yeah, on the flip side, I think it is to, to Cricket Australia for that to be successful. So the best players need to be playing. So if you uh, were the chief decision maker, you would have let Scotty play? <laughs> Absolutely. Look, he hasn't hasn't bowled a ball in in anger for what two nearly a month actually. So I think his last game was at the G uh, mid mid November. He's been in the nets. He's a thirty. What's he? Thirty three years old. Yep. He knows his body inside and out. If, if Scott Boland was going to put himself at risk of playing Test cricket, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't play that game. Yeah, oh, good call. Right, we should get you into Cricket Australia to make some decisions and get these players out there. I love it. Hey, how did you, how did you get into this field? What's your background in terms of study, and how did you actually get to this position? Uh, look, I I'm just an absolute cricket nutter, a bit like Tom. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've played nearly about twenty years of Premier cricket. I've been in and around Crew Victoria, the VIS, with various academies and things like that. Um, the big thing for me was uh, I spent a lot of my time injured. 
And and it's actually quite funny is because I grew up in the country and bowled a truckload of overs every weekend, came to the city and, and then started getting managed a bit and broke down all the time. So maybe there's something in that. But <laughs> yeah. look, yeah, that, that that's sort of, I've built up a lot of knowledge from just being out in the field, being playing, being surrounded by some, some really, really good coaches. I actually have done a lot of work with David Saker. So a lot of my knowledge sort of comes from him and, and it's just really sort of developed from there. My memory, and you might say I'm wrong here, so, but my memory of cricket, let's say 20 years ago, was that players didn't get rested. When they missed, they missed because they were injured. Otherwise, they played. When did this shift occur? A good question. I think it was probably around those sort of mid to late 2000s. Um, there probably was some rotational stuff that happened in the early 2000s, but that was just due to the strength of Cricket Australia. Yeah. But I think it was that sort of mid, mid to late 2000s. The Rocket Factory. Tell us about that. Generally, when I research a guest coming on, I, I just go on Instagram and TikTok to find out what they've been <laughs> up to and uh, stumbled across the Rocket Factory. Tell us about it. Yeah, so it sort of came out of COVID. I think we, we weren't allowed to catch up. We weren't allowed to uh, go and do bowling sessions. So we started sending each other videos. Um, from there, uh, I started doing a bit of coaching at the St Kilda Career Club boys, and it just sort of grew from that. You you get a couple of boys with some uh, some pretty good wheels bowling bounces. You chuck it on the internet, and all of a sudden, there's you know nearly a million people looking at it. It's sort of crazy to, to put it into perspective. And um, does, do the bowling loads change depending on what gender you are? Do the girls, are they able to bowl more or less? Or how does that how does that differ? Uh, yeah, definitely just a little bit less. Obviously, um, your girls' bodies are a little bit less robust than, than yeah. guys, and that's just genetically how it's made up. Um, you know, they, so there's some fantastic female bowlers out there, but, you know, the durability and absolutely smashing them into the ground is just a little bit different just due to the way that the, the biomechanics are made up of males and females. I'm going to ask you two questions uh, without any notice here. Question number one, who's got the most economical bowling action of all time? The bowler that's least likely to get injured and who's the best young quick in Australia at the moment? Well, good, really good question. So most economical, less likely to get injured. Because I was going to start with Spencer Johnson as... Well, he probably covers both. Yeah. Spencer, Spencer sort of trots in, looks absolutely magical, but he's put together with sticky tape. Um, <laughs> he, he, he has had a few hammy injuries, which is a bit of a worry. But for me, he's so exciting. He bowls proper proper gas. I'd love to see him sort of sneak in for one of the tests if they if they do rest Stark. Um, actually, someone who's got a really economical and um, efficient bowling action that has done really well in the, the CA11, uh, which is Jordan Buckingham. Uh, really, really impressive. Um, the stuff he's doing with South Australia is exceptional. And he, he's a very wiry, uh, wiry type. But, yeah, really, really durable, beautiful action, very uncomplicated. Is it still the, just your regulation soft tissue injuries that are most common to fast bowlers now, your hammies, calves, all those sorts of things? Or uh, obviously the stress fractures are the ones you need to worry about the most. And, and I guess shoulders would be up there too over time. Yeah, absolutely. The way that fast bowling is, is you use pretty much every single muscle or joint in your body. Um, so it, it, you can't sort of pinpoint something. You know, your ankles, your knees, your hips, your back, uh, you're probably your key ones in terms of the joint injuries. And then as you get older, because of, the, I guess, the force going through the body, the, the, the calves and hammies, and, um, and then your intercostals and side muscles are the ones that usually go. So really appreciate your time. Check out the Rocket Factory on TikTok and Instagram. And uh, I'll see you again soon. And good luck tomorrow playing for the Saints. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much for having me. All right. From one cricketer to another, Sean Graff played for Australia, Victoria, Hampshire, and even Western Australia for a season where he won a Sheffield Shield title. I think it was about 1984. More recently, cricket people would know him as Victoria's long-serving GM of cricket. He helped build a dynasty in this state, which saw several titles across all different formats of cricket. And more than all of this, 
He is straight shooter Coons. He's also a dog supporter, and that's why we love having him Good on Sports Day. Graffy, welcome. Yes, uh, how you going, Tommy? Coons, uh, good. Great to be there. Yeah. Uh, Graffy, um, before we talk about cricket, I want your honest assessment of Adam Cooney's footy, please. V- very talented. Played with the right attitude in a in most of the wrong era. <laughs> <laughs> Do you agree, Coons? Thank you, you Graffy. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. Thank you. That's kind enough. Well, yeah. you, you went down positive straight enough. I thought you might have gone the other way. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. We will get into the uh, cricket stuff in a minute, but you just described yourself off-air as a long-suffering Western Bulldog supporter. <laughs> You won the flag only a few years ago, Graffy. What were you doing on that day? Oh, mate, how many times did I turn on Football Inquest and we're on top of the ladder after round one and then by about two weeks later we're on the bottom and that was where we stayed. So I've had to put up with a whole lot. I hate the terminology, uh, you're my second team because that means we are shit out. <laughs> I told you it's a straight shooter, Coons. So based on what you said before, Graffy, 150-odd games of footy, you know, full-backs and half-back, full-forward, would you have considered yourself one of the earliest cross-code stars? Could you have made it had it been uh, a different era? Oh, look, I, I had a little bit of a bit of a, a chance to to play, uh, go to reserves and play out there, and also VFA footy. But uh, um, my, my dad actually gave me some excellent advice. You'd like this. Uh, I had it, it was 1977, so a long time ago, and Morty Alec had gone up into first division. Uh, Jeff Rosno was their coach. So he was a great uh, Geelong man. And uh, anyway, they asked me if I'd lay off me a game at fullback um, after I'd played well in interleague game. And then on the Thursday night, uh, Dan rang me in and said uh, we'd offer you a game at fullback as well. And so I was in a bit of a quandary, and I was going to England the next year to play cricket. And, and, but I often would money to be quite honest in those days. And uh, anyway, I spoke to my old man who, who had played a little bit of footy, and uh, he, he basically said, "Well, if you play for Morty Alec, who you're playing? Who you're playing against?" On Saturday, and I said I'd be uh, playing against Geelong West, and I'm on Joe Rodney called Peter McKenna, right? <laughs> right. And then, uh, he said if you play for uh, Dan or who you playing, I said well, we're playing Port Melbourne. I'd be on Fred Cook. He said go home, <laughs> tell him you want fifty bucks a game and stay there and go and play cricket. And that's exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think you made the right choice in the end, and then you did float over to England. Tell us about your your cricket over there. Yeah, look, I was fortunate enough, uh, went across there uh, as a young lad um, to Bristol, uh, which is the reason why Warney went there many years later, because uh, I'd been there and got to know a whole lot of people and, and really loved it, and, uh, and went back many, many times, and, and was fortunate enough to pro in the, in the minor counties as well with Wiltshire and, and with uh, Cornwall and Devon, and then pro at Hampshire, and uh, so the West Southwest country was uh, brilliant, and uh, when when Warney came along, I wanted to go over, and there was a couple of other guys, uh, Ricky Goff, and a lot of St Kilda Cree Club guys have gone to the Bristol area, and sort of that all stemmed from when I first went over there. So, uh, great spot, uh, fantastic way to learn, have a life experience as well as as play. Like as you know, once you put your hand out for money, there's a lot more pressure goes on to you when you're the, when you're the senior pro, and uh, it really does teach you about pressure and how to handle it. And, uh, and gives you a good inkling as to how you'd go, you know, back home, especially when uh, if, you, if you rose through the ranks. Graffy, do you think the county system is more likely to produce excellent Test cricketers than the Australian first-class system? But there's also so few teams, and and there's that big gap in the middle of the season. I'm interested in your thoughts on the strengths and the weaknesses of the two countries in their first-class systems. Yeah, look, look, their end result is the same. They still get obviously we get a lot of good players, and they have their eras where they're highly successful. Uh, you know, both countries. So. Uh, but the, the Australian system is exactly the way you've described it. It's a lot more intense, uh, fewer games, whereas the uh, certainly the, the county system, uh, it's a little bit like 
you put on your instead of putting on your whites, you put it, it feels like you're putting on a set of overalls or a suit and you're going to work every day. So hence the reason why you do get a lot of mundane games. Uh, it's a lot of them just peter out to draws, uh, and a lot of times you, know, you see some of these amazing uh, scores and people hit hundreds of 25 balls and all this sort of stuff you know, at times and. That's because uh, they, they bowl donkey drops and they don't care. Um, whereas in Australia, it's a, it's a little bit different. We tend not to try and do that. Uh, but but it's still a very vibrant game. And, and uh, it's amazing how uh, you know, the feeder system into their county side is, is their club cricket, similar to we, our premier club cricket as well. The intensity in our club cricket is so much higher than in, in their club cricket because they mainly play one day, they don't play any long-form game, yet they still produce test cricketers and still have successful eras. So whichever way it goes, it's a totally different system. Um, sometimes we go over them, we bank you, just like you said before, you know, these little, little dobbers, there's military mediums, uh, you know, going around, and, and we see them when they come out to Australia and play club cricket, and we think, how in the hell do they get a wicket? But it's all about horses for courses, and uh, when you go over there, we tend to bowl, certainly guys who bowl um, quick and, and, and medium, they, they tend to bowl a bit short early, so therefore we get a lot of play and misses if you don't get them out. Uh, they're prepared to actually throw it up there and let you drive at the ball, and because of the conditions, the ball moves a lot more, so they do get the nick. So there, there's there's a bit of that. You know, Batting-wise, it can be very challenging, but it, it's so helpful for us, for our Australian players, to play in those conditions so that they can relate to that if they ever get a chance to maybe play higher over there at, at a future day. What sort of money can just the average sort of you know, guy with some reasonable talent make if they go over and play county cricket? Um, look, if, you're, if you've, you've got to have played first-class cricket uh, in, the, in the past three years, I think it is, and, and uh, yeah, a lot of the Australian guys tend to head over there. Now, some, someone who is a good, solid um, Shield player who's played a bit of, bit of cricket for Australia as well is, would be on £100,000, £120,000, I suppose, all the expenses paid. Um, That's juicy. Uh, they would get uh, you know, business-class airfares, they'd have their accommodation paid for, they'd have a car with their name on it, so everyone knows exactly where they've been, uh, and uh, it'd be uh, and you've got you're basically playing five days a week. So there's very little expenses. So you actually, apart from your tax, you're, you're pocketing most of it. What What are your thoughts on the Mitchell Johnson v David Warner saga, and more broadly the role of former cricketers in the media? This sort of baggy green bond is it a thing? Yeah, look, I, I don't like it. Um, you know, it, but. He's, you, once again, you, you're a journalist. You've got to report what you hear, and, yeah. and uh, you, you go out on a limb at times. I think I, I would have I would have toned it down a little bit, considering he's talking about his former teammates and he's played with them. Yeah. Uh, whether he's right or wrong, I you know I, I think there's a little bit in what he's saying, but I just don't know whether it was the right forum to actually go out there and and, and really tear him to strips. Now, mm-hmm. I see uh, I see Pat Cummins has come out in in his defence. And to be fair, um, at this point in time, no one's knocked the door down to take that spot. And he's still playing relatively well, uh, you know, in the white ball stuff especially. But um, in Australia, with the red ball, his record is very good. Um, And it's not a development side. Like, we're not out there to pick for the future as such. You're looking with an eye on the future, but you've got to pick your best side. Uh, You're representing the country. So, therefore, I still think he's possibly the best player and the right player at the moment now. If if that was if you had guys knocking down the wall, it'd be a totally uh, door. You'd have a totally different uh, view on it. But I think at the moment he would, he mostly will get his wish and, and play this series. But uh, you know, if he fails the first first one, who knows? Oof. But uh, no one's made a lot of runs. I don't know. If Renshaw got runs today. I'm not certain. Yeah, he made a hundred. Yeah, hundred. Yeah, he got hundred. Well, he he certainly would be someone they'd have to consider. But not initially. I think uh, he'll get that first test, and then after that, I'd, I'd make a decision from there. Mm-hmm. So Renshaw, Renshaw's just made a good hundred. Who who would your first 
choice be? Look, I, I, I'm biased because I've seen Marcus Harris, um, yep. and, and he's and he's been on tours. Uh, he hasn't really been given a lot of a lot of help. Like he had that to, um, when India came out here a few years ago, and Boomer and Shami were bowling really quick. Uh, he got runs, but he didn't get big hundreds. He got he got himself a couple of sixties and uh, didn't nail the spot. So he's the one that that I think's been hard done by. On figures alone, though, Bangkok's been the one who's been the most consistent player in the country opening the batting, and he's, he's a brilliant fielder as well. So they're the sort of things they'd be looking at. But I, I still think the incumbent is who you select. I, I spent many years as, as a selector and chairman of Selects of Victoria. You tend to stick with the incumbent until someone um, takes their spot. At the moment, no one's put their hand up to really take that spot. How do you rate the health of Victorian cricket, men and women at the moment? Yeah, look, I think I think the the boys are uh, certainly there's a bit of talent coming through. Um, they're they're playing well. You know, young O'Neill's just got five for a uh, ten for I think for the match. Uh, he's done well. Perry's there. I think someone someone is coming along quite nicely. Pukowski hopefully uh, is over his problems and and will uh, then be able to you know, hopefully have a long stint at the crease and be able to get uh, big runs and push his claim again because he's got huge talent. From the women's point of view, they've been disappointing. We, we, we're heavily a lot of Australian players uh, who are in the in, in that system, which means we do not always have our strongest team out there, and, and it does mean that we've got to look at our depth. And unfortunately, the depth hasn't been there over the, uh, the past couple of years. I think it's something that uh, you know I, I know Cricket Victoria are working on that, wanting to try and develop. But you know, there's a lot more sport out there who are you know. People don't realise how big AFL is in this this state, and AFLW is huge now, and taking a lot of talent out of the other sports or away from the other sports. So, yeah, cricket's got a bit to do in that area in this state, uh, and I, I think that uh, even though we'll still produce very good players that play for Australia, whether we have the success from a team point of view, I'm not quite certain. Twenty five years at Cricket Victoria, you would have seen a few float through the door. Who's <laughs> the best? You've seen with bat and ball. I, uh, I think we know who might be the best with ball in hand. But give us your, your two who you just you, you can't look past. Yeah, look, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one. I, Matthew Elliott was a, a fantastic player. Uh, Brad Hodge was also a, a brilliant player as well. Um, Dean Jones, you know, was was a superb. He was a trailblazer. Uh, and and then you, you you move on to you know. Um, David Hussey, someone who, who's you know an ex, was an excellent player, one of the one of the great players of Victoria, and Cameron White. But look, I think from a, a batting point of view, uh, pure um, technique and class. Uh, if only he had of just uh, maybe he, he would he would say that he just needed a little bit more mental toughness at that stage. But boy oh boy, could he bat? And that was Matthew Elliott. From a bowling point of view, obviously the obvious one is Warney, but Warney didn't play with us a hell of a lot. Um, you know, we were we were have been very fortunate to have some. Fantastic quicks and 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 a, and a great spinner in um, Farwad Ahmed who who helped uh, win a lot of shields for us. I'm not for one second saying it's easy, but is why is the St Kilda Cricket Ground pitch for a lot of shield games quite docile? Is there a way that we can juice it up? I'm not sure what's under the soil there, what the um, I guess environmental challenges are, but can you give some some insight? Yeah, look, it, is, it has been disappointing that it's been quite benign. I must say, um, the first game we played on it, which was uh, in February 2018, in actual fact against New South Wales, uh, we got a really uh, a good result, good game of cricket, good result. Farward bowled him out in the last innings, which is the way it should be. Uh, he turned the ball. Um, the following year, we, we also had a really good game when Johnny Holland got wickets and, and uh, O'Keefe got wickets for New South Wales on the first day, and then we were able to actually win it late into the fourth day. So... Uh, there is, we are able to do that, but unfortunately, um, 
we do prepare the, the decks maybe a little bit finely. Um, Brad Baptist is trying all different ways. Of a very good man. He's a good man. Yeah, he is a good man, and uh, he, he's tr- he's trying to get it so that we, there is a result. It's a result wicket, but you've got to be careful. Um, there wasn't that long ago. If if you lost more than twelve wickets in a day, a first class day, you actually got front. Of, you had to go in front of tribunal and say <laughs> cricket Australia as to what. Now, <laughs> really? if you get if you lose sixteen to eighteen wickets in a day, they don't care a damn. So yeah. look, uh, you know, you can make an absolute shite to be quite honest, <laughs> and I think that would move the game forward, and no one would really question it. So, but because of his pride and his work, he doesn't want to do that. Yeah, twenty four wickets fell in the day at the SCG a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> and that was unbelievable watching. Uh, last one, yeah. Graffy, on a somber note, um, we've lost someone recently at St Kilda Cricket Club, and it's, uh, I, I think it'd be really apt if you could give him a little tribute. Yeah, look, Steve Wayne, uh, a lot of people wouldn't know him, but at St Kilda Cricket Club, he's very well known. Been was around the club for nearly 40 years in a role as general manager, administration manager, uh, a, a really magnificent supporter of the St Kilda Cricket Club and an avid Tigers fan. Uh, unfortunately, he had a, uh, a long fight with prostate cancer and uh, unfortunately it did get out of uh, when before they had the operation, he had the operation. So he's been, he's been uh, challenged and uh, managing it for the last eight years, but unfortunately, last uh, week, uh, it got the better of him, and uh, look, he had time to say goodbye, uh, say goodbye to a few, and uh, it was, it's quite sad, but uh, in some ways it's mostly a blessing because he was in a fair bit of strife. So, great uh, man, though, Steve Wayne, rest in peace. Our thoughts are with Sue and the rest of his family as well. Graffy, we really appreciate your time. Um, you are a wealth of cricket knowledge. You are a straight shooter. I, I noticed a couple of swear words we might have to beep, beep out after this <laughs> in the future. But uh, And also your assessment of Adam Cooney's career was well, very nice. We'll see what you say. Your ability with the keyboard there, because a lot of people that do these shows haven't got a clue. No, no. Nah, nah, our boys at the back are very good. Robo and Tomo, they run a tight ship. Appreciate your time, Graffy. I'll speak to you soon. Okay, right, Tommy. Thanks very much. See you, Coons. See you. Coons, I think he was fanboying you there for a second. <laughs> well, that's good. At least I've got a couple left. Yeah. Uh, Sean Graff, former Australian one-day international cricketer, Shield-winning all-rounder, and more recently the GM of Victorian cricket. More sports day after this.